Second Corinthians 1 and verse number 8. And we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in God which raised us the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, and whom we trust that he will yet deliver us, past, present, and future deliverance. There's the message in that. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for another privilege that we have to preach. Thank you, Lord, for the songs of praise and honor and glory to you. And Lord, I pray you'll be pleased with our worship tonight. Happy to be from the heart and I pray, God, you'd prepare my heart and, uh, to preach the Word of God. And Lord, give me wisdom and understanding and help me deliver the message in a way that will honor you. Deal with hearts, O God, tonight and minister to each need. Encourage your people. And we'll praise you even now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last time, let me just review if I could the things we're not saved from. We're not saved from temptation. Uh, we're not saved from doubting. Uh, we're not saved from chastisement. Uh, we're not saved from persecution. We're not saved from sorrow. Uh, we're not saved from physical death or judgment. So we looked at seven things <clears throat> that we're not saved from. Tonight we'll deal with things that we are saved from. And first of all, we're saved from sin. Thank God for that saved from sin. Until a person gets the sin question dealt with, then uh, nothing else really matters. Doesn't make a difference how good you live, make a difference how much money you give, uh, or anything else the person may do. Until they've got the sin question settled, it's all in vain. I remember my cousin when I first started preaching, and uh, uh, when I would preach, he would get her a conviction. He had gone to church for a long time, and uh, everybody thought he was saved. He went to church regularly. He paid his tithes. And I asked some folks, I said, uh, I said, is he saved? Uh, they said, well, I reckon he's saved. He, he comes to church all the time. And so I questioned him. I said, are you saved? He said, no, I'm not. I asked his wife, I said, are you saved? And she said, yes, I'm saved. It wasn't but a two or three Sundays after that. They, they both were lost. He knew it and she didn't, but they came to a realization that they both were lost and were saved. I simply told that to illustrate that uh, he was a good man, went to church, paid his tithes, but he still had the sin problem. He hadn't got the sin problem taken care of. It was all in vain. But when God saves a person, he saves us from sin. Uh, here in verse 10, he said, who delivered us from so great a death. This uh, uh, death that sin brings, that's what he's talking about because we're not saved from physical death. Uh, even Christians die just like unbelievers. But we are saved from the, the wages of sin. We're saved from the second death the eternal death. 
Now, in the book of Romans, chapter 6, if you'll turn there, please. In the book of Romans, in chapter number 6, we have some verses I want us to look at. And uh, Romans 6, and uh, verse, uh, verse number 6, he says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Verse 14 says, For sin should not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now we're saved from sin's penalty. The wages of sin is death, and that's death in hell. I'm saved from that. I can't go to hell. Now that's wonderful. And uh, uh, that's made possible by the blood of Jesus. Uh, so uh, the sin question has been dealt with, the penalty of sin. The only way I could go to hell is for my sins to be brought up again. And they can't be brought up because the Bible teaches that God doesn't remember them anymore. Amen. And he's cast them behind his back. He's cast them into the depths of the sea and, and, and all those wonderful verses that uh, talk about our sin. So we're saved from sin's penalty, which is hell. We're saved from that as a believer in Jesus Christ. And then not only sin's penalty, but we're saved, as these verses tell us, from sin's power. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Now that's a good way to tell whether you're saved or not. It's whether sin has dominion over you. A lost person uh, is dominated by sin. Sometimes we may, we may talk to the drunk, drunkard and we say, why don't you quit your drinking? Don't you know it's a killing you? And I've had people, I've talked to people with tears in their eyes and they'd say, I wish I could quit. I say, God can, God can take it away from you, but he's the only one that can give you the victory. I talked to one man, he said, it's destroying my health, I can't keep a job, it's destroying my family. And, and he said, it's a terrible thing and I wish I could quit. I tried to point him to Christ, but he wasn't willing to receive Christ. And I don't know where he may be. He may be dead by now. I don't know. I haven't seen him in years. But uh, we're saved from sin's power. Now, it is possible, it is possible for us to do anything that a lost man would do. And uh, uh, the difference is that uh, a saved person cannot be dominated by sin. You may fall and, and, and commit any sin that an unbeliever except blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You can't do that. But uh, you may commit any other sin. But you're not going to live in that sin day after day if you're saved. I believe that. I believe God saves us from sin. I believe he delivers us from the power. Notice, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not of the law, but under grace. Now verse 1 said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now they accuse Paul just like they accuse preachers today that preach eternal security. That, uh, well, that's a license of sin. You mean you can live any kind of life still go to heaven? What they were saying, well, if it don't matter, just go out and sin all you want to because the grace of God take care of it. Paul said, God forbid. We're dead to sin. We're, we're no longer dominated, dominated with the sin question. 
We're no longer under sin's power and sin's domination and sin's control. And that's the difference. Thank God, isn't it wonderful to be free? You know, I see people and they're in bondage to sin, people in drugs, and they seemingly, uh, you know, they, they can't, uh, can't get off of them, and people with addicted alcohol and, and all these other vices, and seemingly uh, there's no way out for them. Uh, thank God. You know, they, uh, people say, I feel sorry for you Christians. You can't do nothing. <laughs> well, you can do everything you want to do. You know, uh, uh, who wants to go get drunk? <laughs> And uh, uh, these other things, uh, we're free. The Lord said, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. And it's wonderful to be free. Uh, they're the one that's in bondage. You know, it's a joy to serve God. It's just like, uh, you know, I, was, uh, I visited this new prison before they opened it, and the warden talked to us. And, uh, and he was talking about, uh, about being incarcerated. Uh, he said, uh, uh, you, don't, you have no responsibility. Of course, I think they do have some things that, uh, you know, they have a place there, they sell and all the various things, jobs for them to do. But uh, uh, basically, they can rebel and be, be on lockup, and they don't have to do nothing. He said, you have no responsibility, but you don't have any freedom. Yeah. You can't make any decisions you own. We tell you when to go to bed and when to get up and when to eat and when to do everything. You don't have any freedom. I'd rather have the freedom, wouldn't you? Yeah. I'd rather be free in Jesus Christ and accept some responsibility. And it's, it's those that do not know the Lord, they're in a bondage. So we're saved from sin's penalty. We're saved from sin's power. It's domination. And one day we'll be saved from the very presence of sin. And that's the day I'm looking forward to. Uh, you know, the question's been asked, what's going to keep the same episode that happened in the Garden of Eden from repeating itself? Well, if you read the book of Revelation there, 21, 22, God's made sure that that never happens again. He's going to do away with sin. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death, and when, when death is destroyed, that means sin's destroyed because that's why we have death. It's sin, you get rid of sin, you get rid of death. And the Lord's going to take care of that. We're, we'll be saved from the very presence of sin, so we're saved from sin. Not only that, but we're saved from self, and that's wonderful. You know, we have, uh, we have more problem with ourselves than anyone else, don't we? And uh, uh, that's the basic problem of man. That, that was the problem of Satan. That's the problem of Adam and Eve. The devil says, you shall be as gods knowing good and evil. You'll be just like God. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, a better way is to go through Jesus. Now, I don't believe as the Mormons believe that, uh, that you can achieve, uh, you can become a God yourself and create worlds and all that kind of nonsense. But the Bible says, now are we the sons of God. And uh, it also says we're heirs and joint heirs with Christ and and uh, God's offered us something a whole lot better than Adam, or the devil offered Adam and Eve there. But it says you should be as gods. you find that spell with a small g. And knowing good and evil. And so the basic problem, the basic problem of man is self. But when God saves a man, he saves him from self. And uh, uh, that's why he said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. 
uh, that uh, a person willingly places themselves under the authority of Jesus Christ. A person's not saved that still wants to be God themselves. A person's not saved that doesn't have a Lord as well as a Savior. If, he, if, he, if he's their Savior, he comes in and becomes their Lord. Now, I don't, I don't believe and, and preach as, as uh, there was a big discussion a few years ago on the Lordship salvation. You know, that you have to understand all that, all that, uh, that word means Lord uh, in order to be saved. I didn't understand uh, all that when God saved me, but I understand more of it now. And I understand that I do have a master and I have a Lord and I can't do, I can't do as I please. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians and uh, I believe it's uh, uh, chapter 6, uh, he talks about that. And uh, uh, verse 19 and 20, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, uh, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, notice what he says, which are God's. So he tells us here, that you're not your own, you're born with the price, you are God's. Right. Now that tells me that, uh, uh, that uh, you know, he bought me and paid for me, and if that be true, who, whose property am I? Uh, I'm his, right? I'm his property. And I'm no longer, you know, self-centered, I'm to be God-centered because I belong to him. We're saved from self, and we need, to, we need to act like it. Sometimes, uh, you know, we, uh, we think we're all our own, and of course the, the modern uh, philosophy of man is that, uh, you know, you've got to love yourself, and, uh, you know, you are somebody, and, and uh, uh, you know, you, you've got to have all, all you know, the, the, all this self-confidence, and, and I'm not against self-confidence in, in itself. I think we need that and uh, positive thinking, but there's a danger. Norman Vincent Peale carried it too far, and, and all this, uh, uh, this self-image thing, uh, that, uh, uh, that's, that's the problem. That's the problem starting in the Garden of Eden with man, is this selfishness, this self-centeredness. And uh, uh, when God saves a person, they, you know, they become God's property, therefore we're to be Christ-centered. And that's, that's what God wants with our lives. So uh, we, we're saved from this selfish, uh, you know, this selfishness. And uh, we need to consider, am I God's property? Uh, am I Christ-centered? Or am I self-centered? Then thirdly, uh, we're saved from Satan. Uh, Satan. Uh, and uh, I, remember, I remember hearing an old preacher, I don't know where he's still living now or not, uh, but uh, uh, he said uh, uh, there's two things, uh, you know, when God saved me, uh, said that uh, uh, I was never, I, was, I wasn't going to starve to death and the devil wasn't going to get me. <laughs> that's, a, that's the way he used to explain it. Uh, that was the crude way, I guess, of saying I'm saved from Satan. And uh, you know the devil, the devil hates you and hates me and hates God, 
But he cannot touch us except by God's permission. And we see that, of course, in the book of Job. But uh, uh, we're saved. He can't get us. We're God's property, aren't we? And if that be true, if we're bought with a price and we belong to God, uh, then how's the devil going to get to us? Now, uh, we're saved from Satan. I want to give you a couple of verses in Acts 26 and uh, verse number 18. Uh, that Paul uh, describes his mission here in Acts 26 and uh, verse, well, let me read verse 17. He's talking here to Agrippa. And he's given his testimony uh, here about the Damascus Road experience. And verse 17, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles in whom now I send thee. Now this was a transformation. Uh, you know, up to this point, I don't think Saul had any interest in the Gentiles. Right. He was a Jew. Right. Uh, and beyond that, a Pharisee, and one that was dedicated to the Jewish religion so much that he was hunting the Christians down, having them in prison, consenting unto their death, because he thought the Christians were, were presenting a false Christ, a false God, and he did it ignorantly, let him believe. And here he tells Agrippa about this Damascus experience and uh, how that uh, he met Jesus there. And uh, he said he called him there to make thee a minister and a witness. Both of these things which thou hast seen, those things which I will appear unto thee. Verse 16, verse 7, Deliver thee from the people and from the Gentiles in whom now I send thee. And if you study his ministry, his ministry was to the Gentiles primarily. This Jew who really despised him. And listen to what he says that he was to do. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient under the heavenly vision. Now his mission there to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God. And that's what God does when he saves us. He sets us free from the power of Satan. Jesus said there in John 8, You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. A person is either under, under, under the power and, and uh, the leading of the devil or under the power and the leading of God. And when God saves us, he delivers us from the power of Satan unto God. You know, we talk about people sinning. Someone described a sinner is someone that can't stop sinning. And I think that's a very simple definition. That's, that's what a sinner is. And uh, they can't do nothing but sin. Uh, that's the nature. We talked about the dog and the hog uh, returning to uh, the, the wallowing in the mire. That's the nature of a dog. That's the nature of a sinner is to sin. And because they're under the control of Satan, but when you get saved... He sets you free from that domination of the devil. We're saved from Satan. And then in Romans 16 and verse number 20, he says, uh, uh, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. 
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. What a, what a promise. The God of peace will bruise Satan under your feet shortly. And uh, you know the devil's headed for defeat. That's right. I keep getting blessed by the tape Brother Marlowe let me have. And one statement the preacher on there makes is, is uh, that I've repeated uh, quite often lately. And, and uh, uh, he talks about all that's happening and all that's coming and it's somewhat frightening. And, and, uh, and I was reading, uh, you know, uh, some information I just got this week and it's talking about a nuclear war and, and the problems in the Middle East and all that that might entail. And, and uh, the world may look kind of, kind of dim, you know. But I like what this, he says, we win. <laughs> Thank God, uh, don't be despondent. We win. <laughs> and it may look bad. And it may look like the devil's got the upper hand. And uh, that, that he's going to get the victory. But just read the last chapter again. We win. Uh, or Jesus wins and we're with him <laughs> when he does. And so he's going to bruise Satan under your feet. And there's a verse that says, you know, you'll trample uh, the wicked under his feet there and the blood of the wicked. And so we're saved from Satan. And then not only that, but we're saved from the second death. And we've just referred to that. Are the wrath to come. Now, uh, wrath's coming upon this, upon this earth. We're headed, we're headed for the tribulation period. Uh, and uh, I don't know how much longer it's going to be. Uh, I think uh, uh, Israel, they, according to their calendar, they, uh, they believe it's uh, 59, uh, 57, I think, about 43 years away from 6,000. That's, that's according to their calendar. By our calendar, uh, you know, we're uh, uh, 1,996 past uh, the 4,000. Uh, there, uh, that when Christ came on this side of, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and His, his birth. But uh, uh, whatever, God's keeping the, the, the time and he, His clock is on schedule and, you know, sometimes air, air watches lose time. And, and, but I want to tell you, God's, God's watch is right on time. Amen. It never loses a second and He'll be right on schedule. But uh, I believe we're close. I believe time's running out in Jesus is soon to come. And that's our hope. If it wasn't for that, I'd be discouraged. Amen. Uh, and, uh, but the Lord is in control and, and he's, he's running the show. Thank God for that. But uh, we're not appointed to wrath. Now, uh, there's some preachers, you know, they've, they've changed their mind. And they say they think we're going through the tribulation. Uh, I remember I had a teacher and, and a professor and and he said that uh, he believed was going through half of it. That's, that was what he taught and believed. I don't believe that. I don't think going through any of it. Right. I believe there's seven years that are spoken of there in Daniel 9. And the Bible said, the, the, if you study that scripture, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and the holy city. They have nothing to do with the church. And you have, you have the 69 weeks, which is 483 years, from the issuing of the decree there, uh, in the, spoken of in Nehemiah chapter 2, and to Messiah the Prince, it's 483 years. And if you study that out, if you study that out, it's uh, uh, from uh, 
from the time that decree was issued until Jesus rode in to the city of Jerusalem before he was crucified and, and there on the colt and offered himself as the king of Israel. And they said, we'll not have this man to reign over us and nailed him to a cross. And that ended the law. And the, gray, the, the dispensation of grace came in and the, the church was born and the Lord turned from the Jews to the Gentiles primarily and the church began. Uh, and so uh, we, we, have, we have that time and I believe that carries you up to the rapture. I believe the rapture has to do with the church and uh, not with Old Testament saints or tribulation saints and the Lord's going to take the church out and there's another week or there's seven more years left on that prophecy that has to do, has to do with, with Israel. has nothing to do with the church. In fact, uh, Jeremiah, I believe it is, said it's the time of Jacob's trouble and Jacob's Israel. It has to do with Israel. And so that seven-year period of time when Antichrist will reign, and, and I want to tell you that, uh, that we, the, the, uh, uh, the scene is set and the technology is already here. And uh, as this uh, fellow on the tape talks about the implanting of that computer uh, chip that is so small it go through the eye of a needle. Uh, and... Uh, uh, I forget how much uh, information is on that with a little battery in it and all this sort of thing. And, and uh, they're already using it and told how many thousands of people they've already used it on in different parts of the world. And it's, it's, it's a tracking device so they can keep up uh, and you can't buy or sell without it. And, and the technology is here and we are ready. The only thing holding it back is the Lord giving the permission for the Antichrist to come on the scene and, and offer himself as the great peacemaker and answer to the world's problems. And of course, in the middle of that tribulation period, that seven-year period of time, he will uh, uh, you know, set himself up as God and demand to be worshipped. Now, we're not going through that time. Read Revelation. Well, I'll tell you, I used to read that and scare me to death. I said, man, talking about them devils, them locusts over there, and, and uh, you know, they, men seek death and death flees from them and all that. And, and uh, you know, you'd get scared to hear a preacher preach on that and go look on the bed and see if you see anybody, you know, is any on the bed and behind the doors. And, and I'll tell you, it's going to be a frightening time. We're not going to be here. But let me give you a couple of verses. I got off and... Uh, you know, they didn't mean to go that far on it. But 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 is setting the stage for these verses. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you read that in the context, he's talking about the coming of the Lord. And uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 talks, you know, the great rapture scripture. And the, the, when the Lord Jesus comes and takes us out of this world. And then chapter 5 uh, he deals with that, with the wrath to come and so forth. But God's not appointed us to wrath. And then uh, you say, why is that? Why, do, why are we not appointed to wrath? Because the Bible said uh, in Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no, no condemnation. N-O, there is therefore now, that present tense, now, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. 
who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is past in death and life. There is no wrath for us. Why? Because all of God's wrath was put on Jesus. That's why. There's no wrath waiting me because that wrath was born by Jesus Christ. He's not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 3.10, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I, will, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. And that's written of the church of Philadelphia, which is the true church. And he says, I'm going to keep you from the hour of temptation. Now that's a blessing. Thank God I'm saved from that. I read that in Revelation. <laughs> you know, I, I, want, I want to go through that. Uh, and people say, well, I'll just wait till then to get saved. Second Thessalonians 2, you wait too late if you've had the opportunity now. But even those that haven't had opportunity will hear and believe then. I'd rather get saved now and get out of that, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'd rather be a part of the church and get out of that. <laughs> and so... Uh, we're, we're saved from, from that wrath of the tribulation. We're saved from the wrath of the second death. Revelation 2.11, He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. And don't uh, misuse the word overcometh there uh, to, to indicate something we do. 1 John 5, if you'll read that chapter, he talks about who overcomes. He that overcometh shall not be heard of the second death. And Revelation 26, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such a second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. What a blessing. He says the second death has no power. You know, the question may be asked, uh, when the Lord sets this world on fire, where are we going to be? Ever thought about it? Where are we going to be? Second Peter chapter 3, and that's talking about when he comes to, uh, you know, when, he, uh, when the, it's the end of the millennial reign of Christ upon this earth, and this earth is, is, is destroyed, it melts, the, the elements melt, and the earth's burned up and dissolved, and, and uh, uh, where are we? Because we, we're on the earth, aren't we? We're in the millennial reign of Christ. And uh, uh, the devil's loose for a little season and fire comes down and all that. And, and where are we going to be? They don't make a difference for we, we could be right on the earth. You say, how is that possible? Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in the fire furnace and Jesus in there with them. Did the fire hurt them? What even the smell of smoke on it? The second death hath no power. Now I'm not saying uh, we, you know, I don't know the answer to that, but we'll be wherever God wants us to be, wherever Jesus is at. But what I'm simply saying is, if the heavens is on fire and the earth is on fire, uh, you know, if we're in the fire, it won't hurt us. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? So we'll be safe in him and that's the only place that's the only safe place there is is in the Lord Jesus Christ aren't you glad you're saved from all that 
And the only, the only hope is Jesus Christ. The only, the only hope of escaping judgment and wrath, the wrath of the tribulation, the wrath of hell, and, and of course the lake of fire, uh, and the second death is used together there. The only way of escape any of that is through him. And through him uh, we have safety and victory. Let's bow our heads, please.